Hey, Icon, it is good to be with you today. Uh, so we are just a little bit more than halfway through uh, our short little series through uh, a section of Romans. And I, uh, before we kind of jump into a lot of what we have to talk about today, I just want to do uh, a quick little recap. And so this whole series is is built around the idea that who you are as a Christian changes how you live, that there, that certain things being true about your identity change certain things about your life. And specifically, we're, we've been leaning into this idea of release or freedom. And so, you know, last year when we went through Romans, we went through uh, Romans 1 through 5, where Paul was establishing, here's what is true of you. Here's both Jew and Gentile in the Roman church that were warring against one another. Here's why you should have unity, because everyone is a sinner. And uh, the only way to be justified before God is in Jesus Christ. And then now he's, uh, as we've been going through it, starting in chapter 6, has been leaning into what that means for their life together and for our life together as well. And so Romans 6, if you remember, we talked a lot about how being in Jesus Christ, united to him, means a certain release from sin, that we're no longer in bondage to what used to hold us captive, but we actually have freedom now to, to live as Jesus did because we're united to him, that we've been, we've been put to death to sin and we've now been made alive to God in Jesus Christ. And, and so there's release from sin and from death. And then Romans 7 talked about how because of the justification that we have in Jesus, the, the belonging that we have to Jesus, we no longer belong to what Paul's been referencing as the law, this, this mosaic law of commandments that used to hold people in bondage. You're, you're no longer in captivity to that. That no longer defines your relationship with God. And for good news as well, it no longer defines your relationship to sin because the law actually led you more into sin because it, it exacerbated that rebellious spirit in you that just wanted to do what you knew was wrong. And then now in Romans 8, for the last few weeks, we've been in this first section of Romans 8 where Paul's been laying out, laying out how you've been freed from condemnation, that you are you are made perfect in Jesus Christ. And because of that, you now have the Holy Spirit and you can live a life released from the flesh, this, this, this human campaign of rebellion, as we've been calling it. You've been released from that. And then now, as we're going to get into this text that we have today, Paul's going to give uh, almost just like a small little recap of what he's been saying in chapter 8 so far. And then he's going to transition into, into somewhat of a new thought. And so I want to just address the transition there, uh, starting in verse 12, and then we'll jump into the rest right after that, okay? So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so Paul summarizes and recaps pretty much what he's been saying in this entire chapter. That we are debtors, which means that everything that we are as Christians is owed to the Spirit, not to the flesh. Our, our lives belong to the Spirit of God for Him to direct and for Him to empower, for Him to define how we view life. Remember the orientation of our mindsets? We owe that to the Spirit and not to the flesh. That this, this human campaign of rebellion, we no longer belong to that, man. We don't owe our lives to that. We don't have anything to give 
to that because that's no longer who we are. And that's good news because if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Again, something Paul's been laying out for, for, for the entire chapter so far. That to live in the flesh, to live life in participation with that human campaign of rebellion is to choose death. It only leads away from God, the source of all of our life, the the one who we were made to be with and to love. The flesh runs away from him. And that can only go poorly. That can only lead towards death. It just curves us in on ourselves and we become the point of our whole lives. And in the end, we find that that's not good news, having us as the point of our lives. And so, but if you want to live, you will put to death the deeds of the body. So by the spirit, you will, you will see the ways in which he's, he's leading you, what it means to live as a Christian in obedience to Jesus Christ and putting to death the deeds of the body that still want to rule because they're still there, right? We talked about that last week. Having the spirit does not yet mean perfection. There's still indwelling sin inside of us. These, these impulses and these temptations that still pull us away from God, back into old lifestyles, back into uh, old idolatries. Those things are still there. But if by the Spirit, you slowly, faithfully put those things to death, you will find what life was meant to be like. And then he jumps into a whole nother thought here. Still connected to it, but a whole nother thought here. And before we get into that, I wanna pray. Because this section here, Again, I said this last week, we've been going through uh, this Roman series and six of our entire se- like 12-week series is in Romans. It's because there's such good things here. And this section right here has, I hope, some really wonderful truths for us. And so I want, I want to stop, I want to pray, and we'll pick it back up in verse 14. Father, I thank you for the release and the freedom that is ours in Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that your word makes clear what that is. So all throughout what we've been exploring, even specifically in Romans 8, that we have your Holy Spirit that that leads us, that guides us. That we've now been, we've been declared perfect in Jesus Christ, not because of anything we've done, quite the opposite, Only because of what Jesus Christ has done, we have a status of perfection. And because of that, we have a new status of help from your spirit. No longer living under that death-wrought campaign of rebellion. But living under your spirit. And the way your spirit leads us is into life. And and, in some specific ways today, as we look at the rest of this little section in Romans 8. I pray that your spirit would indeed lead us. God, that there are truths here so wonderfully dense, so good that it takes a work of your spirit to believe them and to really receive them into our hearts. So God, I am asking again for your help right now, God, that your spirit would would unite your power with my weak words and cause the truths of this little section to pierce the hearts of those who are hearing and cause wonderful things, God. Wonderful realities, wonderful assurance and peace, having you as our own Father. 
It's unbelievable. But God, we want to believe it. So would you help us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you to do something for me. I want you to picture your dad. Right now, have a picture of him in your head, whatever he looks like, I don't know him, but picture him in your head. And then as that picture comes into your head, I want you to notice a few things. What's his facial expression? What's his body language? Or even better, what, what, what emotions automatically come into you that you don't have to like conjure up, that just the thought, the picture of your dad brings into you? Some of the, some of you, that, that picture is going to evoke love and gratitude. That you had a dad who loved you well, who was not just present in your home, but was actually attentive to your heart, that, that loved you, that led you, that, that taught you and actually raised you up. That Saul being a father means investing the, their life in you for your good. Some of you had that. But for many of you, that picture of your father is maybe a picture of disappointment of anger, of hurt and frustration, a sense of loss, not having had what you wish you had, not having the dad who led you, who guided you, who in many ways held your hand forward into life, but instead, either through passivity or through aggression, pushed you out into life without ever holding your hand. For many of us, the idea of fathers is a painful reality. And so it evokes these emotions of despair and disappointment. So we, when we picture our dads in our head, it's not a pleasing picture. The body language, the facial expression is one of a curved brow, of anger, of, of uh, even for us, a, a little bit of fear. Listen to, listen to this, this quote. The only thing my father gave me that was of any value to me is pain. That's a quote by Shia LaBeouf after doing an interview for his movie called Honey Boy, which is an incredible movie that walks through the uh, very autobiographical dynamics of the relationship between him and his father growing up as a child star. It's, a, it's an incredible movie, but it's a heartbreaking movie. And we experience pain from our fathers. I wonder how many of you could relate to that quote, that the main thing of value that your father brought you was pain, frustration, anger. And you've taken that pain and you, you've run with it. You've become a new person, a new man, a new woman, a self, self-sufficient man, a self-sufficient woman that you don't need your dad. And that's driven you forward in a lot of ways. But the pain is there nonetheless. No matter how, how we use it, how we choose to let it drive us, the pain is there, in fact. And the reason why there's such potential for pain in relationship to our fathers is because of how important they are. And that's an obvious thought, but we have to say it, that, that, that the role of a father is such importance that it can define the rest of your life. It can shape what your life looks like today at 30, 40, and 50 years old because of something your dad did years ago. And that's because that role is so important. And the reason 
It's so important. It's not just because of some biological reality, but, but actually because of what the father is supposed to represent. It's supposed to embody that there is a father. There is a father that is above all others. That, that, that as Paul says in Ephesians 3, when he's, when he's praying for the Ephesian church, he says, Father God, from whom all other families on earth are named. What he's saying there is that the reality of all these families, of having a father, is named. It exists because you are father. You are a father at your core, O oh God. And these fathers down here are meant to represent that reality. Tragically, none of us do it well. None of us do it perfectly. And even more tragically, some of us intentionally push away that call, that importance to embody and represent the perfect father that we have in heaven. So fatherhood is a complicated idea. It's a painful idea for many of us, but the reason it's painful is because it's so important. And in the rest of this text, as we go through this, Paul is going to lean into the fatherhood of God to his children. Because here's the thing. I want to say this right at the outset. God is a father to those who are in Jesus Christ. Not everyone in this world can legitimately be called the children of God. You look through the New Testament, you certainly see language of, of, you know, offspring in the same sense that God created them. So that's certainly there. But in terms of the fatherhood role, the fatherhood heart towards a child is for those who are in Jesus Christ. And so today, as we explore this, this reality of the fatherhood of God and being adopted into his family, I, I want us to see a few things in this text. I want us to see the what I, what, I, what, what I might call the feel of the children of God, what that experience is like to be a child of God, and then talk about the, the, the future of the child of God. And so look at the text with me. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You've been given the Holy Spirit. Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So the first thing to notice from this text is what, what I'm calling the feel of the children of God, of, of what it feels like to be, or re really the experience of being a child of God. And the first thing to notice is, is what it's not like, right? What does Paul say? For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So we don't, we don't have a spirit that, that, that is enslaving us that makes us ultimately fearful. And I want to ask the question, what is that? Well, in this context of talking about adoption, I, I think one of the things that we can identify this quote unquote spirit of slavery is what you call, might call the orphan spirit, the orphan mindset that you've not been given Christian, this spirit that still communicates to you that you are alone, that it's up to you. That would essentially make you fall back into fear. That's what this spirit of slavery is. It's, it's defined by isolation and aloneness. 
It's a, it's a slavery in the sense that you have no one caring for you. And so you are the point of your life. You are the great caregiver and provider and protector of yourself. That's what an orphan is. That certainly in orphanages, they have others who are caring for them. But in the end, an orphan is someone who is alone. That's what this spirit of slavery is, which of course would lead us into fear to, to, to be alone in this world. To be the one who has to protect ourselves, who has to care for ourselves, who is always having to ensure that we survive. That's a fearful thing, man. That's a fear. That's a fearful thing to have to have all of life depend on you. You have no one else watching out for you. You have no one else caring for you. You have no one else establishing and building in you an identity that is solid enough for you to have real life. That's what the spirit of slavery is. And you know what? The tragic thing, the burdensome thing, and it's, is that this spirit is actually one of the, the, the spirits of our age. That we have this, we have this generation in which the great quest of life is for you to be the point. And yes, we, we give ourselves to, to movements and causes, but in the end, what reigns at the end of the day is self. Radical autonomy. I don't need anyone else. I can do this by myself. Radical self-sufficiency. I don't need someone to be anything for me that I can't be for myself. And that's a fearful thing. That's, that's this orphan spirit. That this our, our generation is pushing us toward, is pushing everyone toward it. That you are the point. You're the one who has to provide for yourself. Look out for yourself because no one else will. That's the spirit of our age. And Paul says here, you've not been given that, Christian. This, this orphan mindset that you have to figure out everything for yourself, that you are enslaved to a life that ultimately comes down to you and therefore you are alone and afraid, that's not what you've been given. But what you have been given is the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And so you don't have this spirit of slavery that's ultimately making you alone, but you have this spirit of adoption as sons that you've been brought into a family. And because you've been brought into a family, what do you do? You express need. You, you, you cry. You, you, you cry for help. You say, God, I, I need you. You have someone outside of you who you're, who you're looking to, who you're, who you're calling upon. And so whereas this, this orphan spirit of slavery that falls into fear, that pushes us into fear, no, the spirit of adoption as sons, it brings you into a family. And as being in a family, you now are living life outwardly focused, that you're, you're not having to ensure that you're, you survive. You're not having to be all that you need for yourself. But you have a father to whom you can cry that that's the that's that's the feel of being a child of God is that you don't have to be self-sufficient you don't have to be alone 
But there is actually a father of this great family to whom you can direct all of your need, all of your hurt, all of your anxiety, all of your failures. Because this father is good. Unlike so much of what we experience in our own fathers or even our own fatherhood, this father perfectly loves, understands, is patient with. He actually does guide by the hand. He does move toward us in our failures. He doesn't push us away. He wants to hear what's going on in our heart. He's not bothered by it. He hasn't had such a busy day that he can't really handle your need. (laughs) No, he opens himself up to you, to hear from you, to let you have a space where you can process everything that's going on in your heart. And I want to ask you today, for those of you who are Christians, and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, would you identify your life with this father as one of expressing authentic need? Or have you gone silent? Has your heart gone silent towards this God? Because here's the reality. You know, there's, there's, a, there's an author by the name of, uh, name of Russell Moore. He's one of my favorite authors, one of my favorite preachers. I, I love him. And in his book, Adopted for Life, he talks about how um, he adopted two sons from a Russian orphanage. And it was years ago, and he talks about the experience of, of walking into this orphanage. And the thing that caught him off guard was how incredibly silent it was. I mean, it's a Russian orphanage in the, the backcountry rural type of area. So it's, like, it, it's, it's not in great shape. Everything's falling apart. There's this stench of children not being taken care of. But the thing that caught him off guard, the thing that broke his heart is that he walks into this building that is lined wall to wall with children and it is completely silent. Not a peep from these children. And why is that? Because when a child is in need and cries and cries and cries and never has that need met, never has that cry heard, what happens? Eventually, they stop crying. Eventually, they give up on crying. But Paul here says the child of God does does what? By whom we cry, Abba, Father, who we reach out to. We don't stay silent with. We don't let the, the suffering of our lives and we don't let the sin of our hearts cause us to be mute to our God. And it's not a cry that's that's sentimental. You know, you see that word Abba and some people talk about how that was like the Jewish word for daddy and they make it really sentimentalized and cute and kitschy. No, he says, this is by whom you cry. This is the one you cry to. This is not a kitschy phrase. This is a primal scream of, I need you, dad. I need you to help me. I need you to lead me. I need you to comfort me. There's there's some things in my life right now from which I need the healing touch of a good, loving father. I need you to see me, father. I need you. I, 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 need, I need to know that you are here with me, that you are holding me by the hand. 
It's a primal scream that comes from this, this, this guttural region of us that, 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 by which we cry to our great father. And I want to ask you, when's, when's the last time that you did that to this great father that you have in Jesus Christ? Have you, have you gone silent? Are there unanswered prayers in your life that because of the, 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 the span of time that's passed, you've bought into the lie that you are alone? That no one's hearing and nothing's changing. And so it's better for me to just stop asking. It's better for me to just stop crying. This whole crying thing isn't working. Friends, that, that, that muteness of our spirits to this Father who wants to hear from us, it, it, it deadens our heart. It makes us believe that we have a Father who doesn't care, who doesn't see, who doesn't love. And so we just stop asking. We just stop crying. We stop looking for change. We stop looking and hoping for freedom. We, we become hopeless children, aka orphans, who feel that they are alone and have no one to ask for help. But the truth is, is that we have, friends, we have this spirit of adoption that, that helps us take from our, from our, our, our guts the, the, the pain and the hurt of life lived in a broken world, the disappointments of our relationships, the marriages that didn't work out, the marriages that aren't what you thought they were, the children who have gone astray, the children who are still in your home and are driving you insane so much so that you feel like your mind as a mother, as a father is, is just broken. <laughs> The sin that is still, again, after years, beating you, whipping you again and again and again. And it feels like there's no progress. The financial stress on the heels of a global pandemic. Whatever it is, whatever is there, your father wants you to cry it to him. For you to reserve that, for you to, for you to turn your shoulder away from the father. And really just kind of have this little thing here that you're obsessing over and that you're being hardened by. Imagine your own child doing that. This child that you love, that you, that you want their heart to be open to you, to be receptive to you, to, for them to be able to share with you what's really go on, going on in them. How much would it grieve you? Not just displease you, but grieve you if your child just stopped asking you for what they needed, stopped sharing with you what was going on in their mind and in their heart. And it's the same with this father. He wants you to bring his cry, your cries to him. And so that, that's the feel of the children of God, is openness, is outward expression of need to a father that hears, not inwardly curved and collapsed, fearful spirits of an orphan that we are not alone, and no matter how much we're crying, those things are not reaching the ceiling, but they're going into the heart of a father who wants to care for you, love you, and, and, and helps you stand up 
even in the midst of suffering. And so we let out this primal scream to a father who cares. That's the feel, that's the experience. But more than that, what's the future? Look at, look at the next verse, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, first thing to see there is that the spirit, this the spirit of adoption that we have, the Holy Spirit actually testifies himself with our spirits, he that the Holy Spirit takes on this personal ministry, he takes it as his personal responsibility to, to assure you and bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. That that's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to remind you and even vividly bring to your consciousness that you are not alone, that you are belonging to a family and all that, that that means for your life. That Think about what grace that is. Think about what, how gracious our God is. That we don't just have a Father in heaven who wants to hear us, but we actually have His Spirit that wants to come down into our spirits and, and lift us up to this Father. Lift our cries up to Him to say, hey, you have a Father. Don't, don't stay silent. Don't stop crying. Cry to your great Father. Bear, he bears witness with your spirit that you have this father, and then also that not not just that you are children of God, but if children, then heirs. If children, then heirs. And so you're not you you know in this category of children, you have a father who who is toward you what you need, but then also in this category of heir, he has something he wants to give you. So you don't just have a a place in the family of God, but you also have a future. That you have something that God intends to give you as you are adopted into his family through Jesus. And what's what are we an heir of? Heirs of God. Heirs of God. Which means that all that God is is yours. Everything that makes God God is now directed at you as a child, as an heir. You inherit God. Not that you become God, not that he, he communicates to you who he is, but he actually he works all of who he is for you, towards you. His goodness his goodness that is the is is what defines everything else that we call good is now given to you the overflow of his power that has created everything we see with the mere spoken word of his mouth that power now directed for your life his mercy that picks up the faint wick and breathes life back into it is now directed at you all of it towards you His grace that keeps with sinners over and over and over again throughout a lifetime of failure is fully yours. There is no portion or piece of God that is not directed at you as an heir. And that's that's that changes everything. That means that you don't need to have a spirit, a scarcity mindset. 
a mindset that just says that life is going to be whatever it's going to, you know, I'll kind of get by. No, you have, you can have a mindset of abundance and I'm not talking about just material abundance and things like that, but an abundant life that you have the God, not just a God, the living God who has, who has committed himself to you and <laughs> if I can say it this way, packaged himself as your inheritance. Where's scarcity in that? How is that a life of, of scarcity, of just eking on by? No, that's, that's a life of abundance. That's a life of full joy, of real personhood as, as image bearers of God, now getting to be with this God and have him for ourselves. You know, the, the Westminster Catechism, an old catechism that, that, that would teach people uh, the Christian faith, it starts off with this question. What is the chief end of man? And the answer is this that it puts. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That the reason you exist is to glorify this great God and to enjoy him forever. That's what Paul's talking about. You're an heir of God, meaning you get to enjoy him forever. That there's no piece of him that's not yours that you don't get to get to rejoice in, get to feel safe by, get to feel carried by, get to be enthralled with the mystery, the magnitude, and the majesty of the living God. That's your future. And then even more than that, what does he say? Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Meaning this, in the family of God, every child is treated as a firstborn. You are a fellow heir with Christ. There's not this lineage thing that you got to go through in order to get the real thing. No, he actually speaks of all of his children in the same way and treats them in the same way, gives to them in the same way that he does to his son, Jesus Christ. Who's, who's treated as the firstborn, who has the status. Not that, not that the son was created, but is given this status of the firstborn. And we have that in Christ. We're fellow heirs with him. So everything that Jesus has, everything that is rightfully his, is yours. That's what it means to be a child of God. That's the future of the child of God, that you have this inheritance coming to you. It's everything you've ever wanted. And you didn't even earn it, but it belongs to Jesus Christ, but he's given it to you out of grace. That's a life of abundance. And yet Paul goes on with a little bit of a left turn that we might not like. Fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so if you want to stand shoulder to shoulder with Jesus Christ in this great inheritance, you must first lay shoulder to shoulder in suffering with Jesus Christ. That that's the route through which Jesus attained this glory for us, is he suffered. He went through life that was marked by suffering, of, of, of his reputation being tarnished, of people speaking ill of him, speaking evil of him that was never true. And then ultimately suffering as he walked the cross-bearing way to bear the burden of our sin on our behalf. That was the route through which 
Jesus got to where he is now. And Paul says here, we should not think it will be any different for us. That to be a child of God does not mean that you have a life free of suffering. In fact, to be a child of God, what it says here, actually ensures you will have a life of suffering. That you don't quite have this inheritance yet, but you have enough to get you through. And you will suffer. And we're going to get into that suffering a lot in the next section next week. But I just want to, I want to tell you today that if you are suffering, friend, don't let that suffering try to convince you that God has forgotten you, that you don't have a father who cares. In fact, quite the opposite. Because to suffer as a Christian is for God to hold your hand and walk you to glory. Because it's through suffering that we get to glory. We can't bypass it. To, buy, to bypass that is to bypass and totally miss this great inheritance and glory. And so if we want to stand shoulder to shoulder with Jesus Christ in the family of God, in this inheritance of glory, of, of, of seeing God and having him for all of who he is, enjoying him forever... The route to that starts with suffering. And it doesn't mean it's always suffering. We don't have an, an ascetic view of the Christian life, that everything has to suck. No, there are very beautiful and good things about the Christian life that bring joy and meaning and fulfillment. It's the better way. God created it to be the way. But it's the way in a world gone astray. And so there's going to be suffering, whether it's personal suffering in relationships with those who don't understand and even deride what you believe as a Christian. Or maybe it's, 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 it's natural evil, things like the COVID pandemic that you've suffered loss of a family member. Or suffered the loss of a, of a job and you're still trying to get back on your feet. Whatever it is, the good news today is that suffering is leading somewhere. And like I said, we'll get into that a lot next week, but it's leading somewhere. And it, it can show you, get, you know, treated right, processed through, walked through rightly. It can actually be one of the means through which the Spirit does exactly what Paul says he will. Bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. Not because you're not suffering, but because in your suffering, you're crying. You're crying to your Father and you're feeling seen and loved for Him. Even if He's not rescuing you from the suffering, He's sustaining you through it. That's the, that's the feel and the future of what it means to be a child of God. What a rich grace. What a life that we've been given by grace. What a place that we've been given by grace. And what I want to ask you today in, in closing a little bit of a, a, a real life application is this. If you took an audit of your life, or better, if someone else took an audit of your life and just looked at it with objectivity, would they be led to believe that you have a perfect father to whom you can run with every problem, every cry, every joy, and receive what you need? Or would they get the sense that you're living life, you're, you're pushing life as one who categorically feels like they are alone? So in your relationships, 
Are you constantly trying to build up yourself in those because you feel like those are the avenues through which you have to have an identity? Or do you have an established identity as a child of God and therefore can have relationships of, of giving, of generosity, of outward focus? In your finances, are you constantly feeling like you have to protect what you have because no one else is looking out for you? Or can you answer the call of the New Testament, New Testament to be generous because you have a father who's generous and a father who's going to care for you, who's going to provide and supply your every need? Is that true? Or are you alone in that? Whatever it is, whatever, whatever thing comes into your mind that you are living with that orphan spirit that you have to figure things out on your own, you gotta be free, you gotta watch out for you because no one else will, Friend, this week, address that. Repent of that. Because you do have a father who loves you and cares for you. Who's walking with you and holds your hand. And wants to communicate to you his love and his kindness and his openness towards you. The real life application is this. What areas of your life do you need to lift up to your father in belief that you have a father who loves you, cares for you, who's providing for you, and who in the end will be all for you, your rich and great inheritance. Let's pray. Father, what a grace it is that we can call you that God. That by your mercy, you would, you would pluck us out of our sin and our deadness and not just free us from the judgment of your wrath, but actually bring us into your family. The gospel would feel good enough if we just were free from wrath, if we were free from judgment, but it's even better that we don't just have, not only are we free from the, the curses of a judge, the wrath of a judge, the punishment of our sins, but we are actually welcomed into the family. We're not just free from a judge, but we're free to have the smiles of a father. How rich in grace you are, God. God, with your spirit today, testify with our spirits that we are indeed children of you. Belonging to you, held and protected by you, and never alone. God, like I said, it's a truth that feels so dense and wonderful, it's hard to fit it into our puny little hearts. God, enlarge our hearts that we might receive this truth and live from it in our real life. In Jesus' name, amen.